Now, you guys are wonderful congregations, a pleasure and an honor to, to pastor this church. But really what it is is just a snapshot of America, some unhealth in areas of life. It's really not, um, it's not good, obviously, but it's not that different than the early church. You know, we think about the lives we live and what's going on in our life, and we think, oh, there's so many issues in our culture, there's so many issues in families, so many things going on, it's just not all that great. But really, this is a fallen world. This is a fallen, sinful world. And really, it's just a picture of our text today in 1 Corinthians. Now, this is not a normal uh, Easter text. You know, normally you're reading in the Gospels about the resurrection. But this is Paul's communication about the resurrection to a church that had some problems. In fact, you got some notes there, and Easton's Bible Dictionary puts it like this. He's making a statement about the church in 1 Corinthians that Paul's writing to. Big town, Corinth, mixed multitude. They had a lot of immorality issues. They had church problems. They couldn't get their services straight. They, they had issues about doctrinal issues. Some of them said there's no resurrection of the dead. This is what we're going to read today. Paul says, well, well hold, on, hold on a minute. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of our faith's in vain. You're wasting your time, right? So he's going to address these issues. Listen to what Easton's Bible Dictionary says. It's on your notes about 1 Corinthians. It gives a vivid picture of the early church. It entirely dissipates the dream that the apostolic church, that's the early church when the apostles were still alive, some of the disciples, was in an exceptional condition of holiness of life or purity of doctrine. They had issues too. They had cultural issues and problem issues and church issues and family issues. The early church wasn't any different than issues we deal with today. That's good. That puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? You see, we're all saved by the grace of God. We all celebrate the cross and the resurrection today. It really puts us on an even plane. So let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached. I want to be clear to you about what the truth is. Which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's really, it's almost a sarcastic statement. He's saying, unless you believed in vain that Christ is not real. It's like saying, the food in Louisiana is not good. Let's go to Oklahoma and eat. What? No, we don't go to the bland capital of the world to eat. We, we, we stay in Louisiana because this is the best food. And he's saying, look, this is not in vain. This is the very truth of truth. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, after that, he was seen by 500. You didn't know 500 people saw the resurrected Christ, did you? Unless you read that one little text there. Of whom? By 500, brethren, at once, at one time. Of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, the euphemism for they died. After that was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. 
For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. So Paul is addressing a church. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about the resurrection, the way it affects your life. I want to talk to you about the resurrection, the way it affects you when you leave today and in your daily life. So, you know, he had to deal with prophecy and tongues. He had to get the church uh, order and meeting straight. And then he says, moreover, brethren, literally, let me tell you the most important thing. We're going to get this straight first, then we can go on and we can go forward. So verse 1, kind of mushed by verse 2. I kind of mushed it together there on your notes right there, number 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, you stand in it, and you're saved. You receive the truth, you stand in the truth, and that truth is what saves you through Christ. You receive it, you stand. That word stand means someone putting you somewhere and you can't be moved. Like the blood of Jesus covering you, making you righteous, and you're saved, and nothing in death or hell or all creation can remove you from that, by which you stand and are saved. I'm going to tell you about the cross. There are disappointments in this world. There are failures. There are disappointments of what's going on in your physical body. There are disappointments in relationships. There are disappointments in jobs. There are disappointments around the corner waiting for you. Maybe when you walk out of this door, your car may not start. I'm not speaking that over you. I want your car to start. Pray for the people that are not here this morning. Their car didn't start. (laughs) There are disappointments everywhere. But Paul is writing to a church with a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And he says, I want to tell you something. There's no disappointments in the cross. You receive it. You stand in it. And you are saved in it, and there are no disappointments in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you tell me anywhere on this planet that that exists. Because Jesus, it doesn't. Because he was divine, the perfect, sinless son of God, and he exists outside of this world. And in him alone, you will find complete, completeness. Number one on your notes. There is no disappointment in the cross. Come on, look at someone and say none. I'll give you a minute. That's a big word. There is no disappointment in the cross. Paul wants the church to know. Jesus wants you to know. I want you to know. I've been serving the Lord long enough. I can stand up here for over 20 years and say, I'm going to tell you, there's no disappointments in the cross. Someone may have hurt you. There may be issues in church, maybe even a spiritual leader. There are disappointments in life everywhere, right? That's an easy amen. But I'm going to tell you. In the shed blood of Jesus, there is no disappointment. That's the resurrection. That's what you need to know. As a Christ follower, I'm going to tell you, I don't live in disappointment. Not ultimately. I have bad days like everybody else. Life happens, but there are no disappointments in the cross. Disappointments can sneak up on you. You don't even know where they're coming. You can even be the giver of disappointments accidentally like I did on Monday. The kids are watching TV. They're watching a simple little program on Netflix about the planets. It's a little jingle. There are eight planets, eight planets, eight planets in our solar system. You already know I was going to sing this morning. I've been working on this hard. 
I mean, I really, la, 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 I've been working on it. I'm not a musician, but today, the, the gift anointing's there. <laughs> so I walk in, and I hear this song, There Are Eight Planets. Well, when we grew up, were there eight planets? No! That's right, and there's still nine. <laughs> I hate what they did to Pluto. Just, God, it hurts me deep. So they walk in, the jingles go, and all my kids are sitting there. They're watching. Even the little bay, the two-year-old, da-da-da-da-da. So the song ends, and I look at them, and I said, oh, really? I said, did y'all know there used to be nine? Now, it's not a big deal to all of them except for one. My six-year-old girl, who gets highly excited about things, high highs and low lows. Now, she has no front teeth right now. She's six. So when she gets upset, (laughs) she gets upset. So she looks at me like I am (laughs) the Grim Reaper. What? What? There used to be nine planets and now there's eight? I'm like, babe, it was, now now I got to explain this to her. Well, Pluto, and like I really am an expert on Pluto. I just ain't been spending a lot of time talking about Pluto or thinking about it. I study the Bible. Well, Pluto was a big moon, they think, and they thought it was a planet, but now it's not, and they declassified it. What does declassifying mean? What what does declassifying mean? I said, okay, listen, it's okay. Just listen to this show. It's all right. She goes, no, you cannot take a planet away. That's not even fair. That's not right. What's going on in the world? That's what she said. She's mad at the programmer who made that show. She was so upset with Netflix, I thought she was going to cancel our account. (laughs) Don't do that now. Whoa, slow down. Disappointment has come crashing down on her. I didn't mean for it to. I thought it was an innocent. I'm just talking about science. There are disappointments, oh, in life. Everywhere. They'll come out of your mouth. You don't even want them to. But I'm going to tell you, not in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the promise of God. This is proclaimed over and over in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures. This is Romans 10, 9. Very famous text. We know what it says. When you get to verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. We need to keep reading. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Praise God. This is the truth, the greatest reality of mankind. We really need to read the next verse and not stop. 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be disappointed. Amen? You will never be put to shame in the cross. Paul says it over and over. Peter says the same thing. This is a quote from Isaiah 28. It's a a quote from Isaiah 28 because it pulls in the Messiah and it shows him so clearly. And in fact, it's a bigger statement because it goes back to about 800 years before Christ. And now they're speaking after Christ. Almost a thousand years all of this put together. 900-ish plus years. They say, I want to tell you something. I'm looking at just about a millennia of history. And I'm going to tell you, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ will never be put to shame. Amen? We are not people who are put to shame. The world is put to shame. There's difficulties in relationships and everything else. But I have lived under the cross of Jesus. And I know many of you do too. And we will not be put to shame. Let's keep looking at this. So this is the way Paul starts in 1 Corinthians. 
You receive it, you stand it, and you're saved by it. You hold fast to it because you know you would never go to Oklahoma to eat food. Only if you had not eaten in a week and your car broke down and you couldn't get through the state. I love Oklahoma. I lived there for four years. That's why I'm saying this. I love Oklahoma. I was like, man, he doesn't like Oklahoma. I love it. Let's keep looking. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, we're in 1 Corinthians 5, 3, that which I also received. I'm not telling you something I don't know about. That which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, most of the New Testament is written already? No. This is about 57 A.D. A couple of the Gospels are probably written. I put the earliest date. That's just me personally. It seems to be the most evidence. Most of the New Testament is not written yet. What is he talking about? He's pointing to the entire Old Testament to reveal Christ. He's saying, let me tell you through time and history from, from Adam. I'm looking at all the Old Testament. He's an expert in the law, remember? Paul is a Benjamite, an expert in the law, probably of the Sanhedrin. This guy has a Ph.D. in Bible history. He is no slouch. You, you, the disciples, some of them were not educated. They were fishermen. They were, but Paul was a theologian of theologians. That's why he wrote one third of the books of the New Testament. He says, according to every scripture that I've known so well, that I've studied, that I've looked at, that it is Christ that died for our sins. So he makes this statement, and then he's going to give a checklist and including him, and includes himself of all these examples. These are put there by the hand of God for a reason. So he said he was dead, buried, and resurrected according to the scriptures. And then he's going to give you five examples of this. He's going to say, first of all, he was seen by Cephas. That's Peter. Remember, his name used to be Simon. When Jesus first met him, he changed his name. He said, you're Simon, but your name's going to be Peter, which means rock. Unmovable, unchangeable. Now, all through Jesus' earthly ministry with With Peter, he never called him Peter. He called him Simon. All through the earthly ministry of Jesus, even though he was called to be an apostle, even though he would prophesy, even though he would be the one in Acts that stood up and proclaimed Christ to the nations who had gathered there at Pentecost and 3,000 men would be saved, even though all that would happen, he knew that he wasn't Peter yet. He called him Simon most every single time. Now, after the resurrection, Mary Magdalene and Mary saw Jesus first in the resurrection. But this Bible, and if you read all the text, says, but he went first to Peter. Remember, they went back to their old life. They're fishing. Jesus is sitting making breakfast on the the seashore. Peter hears, he he, he says, hey, y'all caught anything? Now, remember, we're going back to when he was called. He was fishing again. God always speaks to people when they're fishing. That's my theological understanding. (laughs) He jumps out of the boat. He goes to Jesus. This is the fixing mentally, emotionally, and spiritually of Peter. Remember, Peter's the boisterous, outgoing, manly man fisherman. He's the leader of the group. He's the leader. And he's also the one that publicly denied Christ. We all know this. So God... Jesus has to go to Peter first. 
He has to go to him first. An example of great public failure. Of the strongest will of mankind. And does Peter have a strong will? Your strong will is not enough. If you're, if you're more of a laid back person, praise God and thank God for it. If you're the strongest, outgoing, most flamboyant, great speaker, it's still not enough. Jesus has to come and fix that. And so, several years after the resurrection, not several years, a year and a half, two years, Peter and Paul meet. They meet more than once. They do ministry together. They hang out. They even got in an argument one time. Life happens. It's all good. They still love each other. Paul very specifically says, I'm going to tell you, when I met Peter, he was a rock. When I met him, I'm going to call him Cephas because he was a rock. Let me give you the first example is that Jesus met Peter after the resurrection. And he said, the cross has changed him so much. His encounter with God has changed him so much. Paul's going to say, and Paul didn't lie. Paul's going to say, Peter's changed. Wow. Then he says, that's the first example. Then he goes to the second of the twelve. All these, all these apostles who took off running, who were scared, who said, I won't deny, and they run. Even Judas who betrayed, the reason why they say 12 is it's very common. They just called them the 12. They called them the 12, even though right at this point it's, you know, there's 11. They'll get the new apostle in Acts 2. After that, he was seen by over 500. So now the list gets longer. The list of the people that saw the resurrection gets longer. Remember, Mary, the first people who see Jesus, Mary, Magdalene, Mary, Jesus says, go tell my brethren I'm going up to Galilee. That's where he spent most of his life and time. Go tell them I'm going to meet them. Jerusalem was packed. Jerusalem was, was full of Romans. Jerusalem was full of Jews. It was a mess. He needed to get away and get the disciples away to, so they could see them all. So they are going to meet him, the 500, in, I'm sorry, Galilee, if I didn't say that right before, in Galilee. Few, several miles north. So he's seen other 500 brethren, of a, the whom the great part is still alive today. After that, he was seen by James and also by the apostles. What a list he makes. What a list. He comforted Peter. He reassembled the 12. The 500, apparently, that he deemed worthy, that followed him faithfully, he showed... He showed them his glorified body and spoke to them glorious things. And that's when he was received up into heaven. 500 were comforted by him and all the apostles. Now I'm going to tell you, that is a list. There is no lack of comfort in that list. There is no I'm not sure in that list. There is no Christian who met the resurrected Lord, who followed him, who saw the, who was aware of the crucifixion, there is no Christian that lacked any comfort. There was no Christian that, I'm just not sure. There's no Christian that lived when Jesus was raised from the dead and said, well, I heard that from one or two, but that didn't exist. That did not exist. Number two on your notes. There is no lack of comfort in the resurrection. Paul gives us a strong list. Can anyone deny that that is a serious list right there? That's some information and that's true. There is no lack of comfort in the resurrection. There are many religions in the world and many of them are even celebrating things or various forms of things today. 
The Buddhist temples are full, but there's no music. They don't have music. They don't have comfort. They're trying to achieve nirvana. They're trying to achieve a state of no pain. The mosques are full. There are prayers of submission and requests with no comfort. They have no assurance that their prayers will be answered, that they will even go to heaven, that they are even accepted by Allah. Zero. Their prayers of submission and prayers of uh, acceptance. The humanists woke up today the same and the atheists trying to find comfort in entertainment, in friendships, or whatever else they do every day. Only in Christianity do people come together or individually you woke up this morning and you said, oh God of heaven, you rose from the grave. The cross was the penalty paid. The resurrection was the proclamation of it. Amen? You are comforted in all things in the resurrection if Christ is your Savior. There is no philosophy, no other thought in the world. There is not enough channels on TV to comfort you. There is not enough food in the world to comfort you. It is the cross and the empty cross and the empty grave alone that comforts us. Amen? And here is all the list of everyone who was ever involved with Jesus. And they're all saying the same thing. We were comforted completely in the resurrection of our Lord. There is no lack of comfort. So first of all, number one, we know there's no disappointment in the cross. There's none. There's no lack of comfort at all in the resurrection. If you look at the second letter that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, just a page over, or you a couple pages over, you can look in 2 Corinthians 2, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of what? All. All comfort. Who comforts us in what? How much of our tribulation? All our tribulation. That we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble also. Or in trouble. In any trouble. With the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And he goes on to talk about this, the suffering of this world. It can't even be compared to the glory which will be revealed in Christ. Let's keep looking at our text. So he goes through the whole list. If you were a lawyer, you would say, there's too much evidence. In fact, if you want to read a great book, um, The Case for Faith, he was a, a lawyer and a, a, a movie's been made about him. Um, the Case for Christ, he also wrote The Case for Christ. The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith, Lee Strobel. That's what his whole issue was. He said, I'm going to disprove Christianity. I know how to do this. I'm an investigative journalist with a law degree. I'm going to go through the evidence. After many months, he said, I'm done. I'm done. I give my life to Jesus. I can't, can't do this anymore. The evidence is overwhelming. And this is what we just looked at today, if you're one of those analytical minds. Now, let's go to the strongest evidence. The next one here, as far as in this text, the strongest evidence. Verse 8. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of time or premature. Now, you have to remember at this time, that's a big statement. 
the child death rate was almost 20% in the Roman era. Premature babies, babies being born, remember there's no inoculation, any disease, whatever, could kill them, almost 20%. If you ever want to know why Jesus was so big on saying, don't, let the, don't, don't stop the little children from coming to me, because he knew 20% was the death rate. Ours is under 5. It's a 4% or something. There's a whole different world there. So he says, I shouldn't be here, Paul says. I should, have, I should have died in my sins and trespasses. The life that I lived, the mess that I went through, what I did to Christians in the church, I shouldn't be here. So when you read verse 8, then la- it says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also. This is where Paul's hand starts to tremble. his lip starts to quiver and the emotions of his sin and everything come upon him. You see, he's going to tell us why this is such a big deal to him. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, his hand is shaking now because the screams of children and women that he pulled out of their houses are still in his mind. Those don't go away. There's no therapy for that. God wanted them there. God wanted to understand the depths and the riches of the grace of God. Paul was a brutal man, full of hate and anger. His name was Saul then. Y'all know the story how God met him and changed him. He's saying, I shouldn't be here. I should not be here. I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted them. I was such a sinner. He even calls himself the least of the apostles and the chief of all sinners. He said, I shouldn't be here. I should be lost and gone and undone in my sin. I'm so wretched. I'm so messed up. I did so many wrong things. But, oh, but, there was an empty cross and an empty grave. There was an empty cross and there was an empty grave. And that resurrected Lord met me. That alive and well king met me and said, stop persecuting me. You're going to come and you're going to be a voice for me. That's amazing to think about a man that God would use like that. That would be the last person I would ever choose. But God's ways are not always his thoughts are not our thoughts so far above. All of the loss that Paul encountered, all of the the loss the church encountered at his hand was no loss at all. You see, in God's kingdom, there's no loss. You don't lose anything that is given to him. In fact, it says, he that seeks to gain his life will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake will gain it. There is no loss In the kingdom of God. Everything you've given to him. Your life. Your job. Your marriage. Your situation. Everything you hand to him. Oh it's his. Now look. Does Jesus lose anything? No. I lose stuff. He doesn't lose things. There is no loss in the kingdom. And that's the third on your notes. There is no loss in Christ's kingdom.
Let's look at one last scripture here. He's going to prove it just a few words later. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But now Christ is risen from the dead. Or indeed, it's an emphatic. Everyone knows the food here is better than Oklahoma. That is the third time I've done that. I have some issues. I'm going to have to go pray about Oklahoma. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, how did death, how did the problems in the world happen? Mankind in this fallen world. God is perfect in all he does and says. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. If you are in him, you are alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ's, after those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to what? All rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Is there any loss in that, in that text? There's no loss. Is there any loss at all in Christ or in his kingdom? None. Absolutely not. It is contrary to the nature of God. He cannot lose. And everything that you give to him. In fact, that's the only thing you don't lose. Amen. Let's stand up. There's a reason Paul says this great salvation. It's no small thing. Sometimes in our busy lives, especially on this fallen world, our salvation can kind of get muddied in the water. This is one reason we come to church and we're part of a local body. There's constant pulls away, and this is a place that pulls us to, to Christ, to Christ's followers, to his word, to his worship. I like that. There's always distractions. I appreciate a little more. I'm a little ADD, and so distractions happen to me all the time. I love that the eternal word of God, that the Holy Spirit, that the communion of saints brings me back to the greatest reality of all mankind. That is Jesus Christ was born of a virgin lived a sinless life, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was dead and buried in the grave, and on the third day rose again. That is the greatest truth of, of mankind. Is that yours? Are you sealed with the Spirit? Do you know that you are His? Just let you spend a minute with Jesus. Close your eyes, and that's the question to you. That was the reality of Paul. The reality of Peter, the reality of 500, the reality of every Christ follower. It's my reality. It's most everyone's reality in here, but I don't know all of you. Is it your reality that Christ is yours and you are his? seconds to answer that question.
you can't answer it on your own either. The Spirit of God bears witness that, uh, with your spirit that we are His. Just quoting a scripture. I can't tell you alone that you are His. He tells you. No one could tell Paul about the risen Christ. Jesus told him. And so He wants to tell you. In just this wonderful, solemn moment with head bowed, and eyes closed. If you are not His and He is not yours and you want to be. And you want to be. We read the scripture. If you confess with your mouth and believe on your heart on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. With the mouth confession is made and with the heart man believes. And you will never be put to shame. If Christ is not your Savior. And you're done living in this sinful world. You're done with the shame. You're done with the disappointment. And you're done with the lack of comfort because there is no comfort in this world like the comfort of God. If there's anyone like that, I want you to raise your hand right now. Let's end our service with this proclamation. And then we'll come and finish with a benediction. Let's sing this. Last couple minutes. I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No.
him with that right there. Oh, yes, Lord. We thank you, God, for your cross, for your resurrection. We're going to end with a traditional benediction. Y'all have to help me. You've got to help me with this. So I'm going to make a statement at every comma. Put that scripture up there from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I started with the second comma. And every time I stop, pause, you're going to say amen. That means you agree. Literally, let it be so. I want that. I'm with that. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Amen. I like your amen. That's right. <laughs> You're beloved. You're beloved, brethren. Beloved by God. If you are Christ, beloved by this church, we love you. People here love each other. I didn't pay anyone to be here. Let's do it again. I'm sorry. I told you I was a little ADD. Let's focus. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Amen. Be steadfast. Amen. Immovable. Amen. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Come on now, praise Him one last time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. God bless you. Have a great Sunday with your friends and family.